He conducts play-by-play for the radio broadcast for New Mexico Lobos in terms of the women's basketball team. And he is the co-host of the opening drive Monday through Fridays, 7 to 10 a.m. on 610 D Sports Animal in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We welcome J.J. Buck onto Hoopsology. How's it going, J.J.? Uh, what it do, gentlemen? Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And what a difference like a year makes. We've had you on last year. And I just want to get your sense. How do you feel just about like the sports world in general? Everything's opening up. Things seem to be kind of back to normal in terms of, you know, our calendar of just watching live sports. How do you feel? Do you feel like, hey, like everything's back? Or do you still feel a little bit of weirdness in terms of just kind of the sports you observed? What's kind of your feeling just compared to last year? Last year, we got by. Um, It it became comfortable watching games at home, whether it's, the piped in crowd noise or anything along those lines into stadium. So once you started getting back, you got a taste of regular season basketball and especially postseason basketball what we're seeing right now. There's nothing like live sports, the energy you get from the fans. And then even, you know, in, in the state, when you start at the end of Olympic sports seasons for New Mexico, when they started to allow fans, what we're seeing now with New Mexico United here locally, it is an entirely different dynamic when you're at a game with fans in attendance, and it's just great to be back at this point. It is. Um, and let's shift that to what's going down tomorrow with the New Mexico Lobos alumni game, in which that's going to be kind of a precursor to um, a representative of New Mexico Lobos and some Aggies um, in the basketball tournament. And we actually had the organizer of the tournament on last year. And this is something that's kind of been, you know, a dream in terms of like just racking my brain of former Lobos. I'm like, this, the Lobos are perfect for this format. So I wanted to ask you, what's your familiarity with the basketball tournament? And did, was this like a shock to you in terms of these former Lobos participating in the basketball tournament? Or were you totally aware that this could be a possibility down the line if the stars aligned and everything was planned correctly? I absolutely love the basketball tournament. The idea around it, seeing you know so many players that we watched in college, you know if, if they're not in the NBA, sometimes people forget about them. But there's so many different paths that these guys can go to pay, play professionally, and they're still really good. And, and you're going to see that in this basketball tournament. And I'm, I'm a fan of the format. I love what they do, um, the energy behind it. You know, winner take all, one million dollars. And I'm right there with you, Justin. I've, I've thought over the last few years. It'd be cool to see a New Mexico alumni team. Is would it be Lobos and Aggies or just Lobos? How would it look? Um, last summer, did an interview with Alex Kirk, and he said that they were kicking it around. And then to see Brandon Mason able to take that step forward, get all these guys together, I'm really excited for it. And it, the stars really kind of lined for this to work out and benefit the University of New Mexico because this is it's an alumni basketball game, but they're they're playing for the tournament but at the same time it, it's a way that you can get, bring fans back in the pit for the first time around lobo basketball like we saw high school basketball there when the, the lady lobos played their last two home games there were no fans there so this is, is a moment that actually morphed into so much more with richard patino being the new head coach fans not being there for lobo basketball for an entire season it it aligned in it i think sunday is going to be awesome and i'm with you i'm just excited to see these guys back together playing JJ, you mentioned Richard Pitino and shifting to your thoughts on him so far, the the Lobos acquisition of him as head coach. What are your expectations of him this this first debut season for him? I think expectations are changing across college basketball because of the amount of transfers that are eligible to play immediately. You know, the one and done, not the one Great and done, excuse me, the one time free transfer. You know, has changed the game to where fan bases always have high expectations when a new coach comes in. But now it's not, oh, we're going to bring these players in. Let us see what they are in year two after these guys redshirt the young players. Like you got Jamal Mashburn coming in and playing right away at Jalen House. Um, these guys that played at high profile programs that didn't just sit on the bench there. They contributed. So I think the expectations are extremely high for Lobo basketball in year one. And that is just a factor of college athletics overall i'm excited to see richard patino i think he's done a fantastic job if you look at his career like yes his dad's rick patino you can't run away from that but i think he's done a really good job of acknowledging that and then showing that i am creating my own path and his time at minnesota when he left it was one of those things that it was more along the lines of it's just time for a change not necessarily 
a failure because a lot of people still liked him. And that's hard to do in this business is when you are somewhere for eight, nine years and it might not work out um, that people still like you and have good opinion about you. And I think that's a positive for Richard Pitino to take that experience at Minnesota in the Big Ten and come to New Mexico in year one. And he has a very intriguing roster. Definitely. Yeah, I, I've been seeing kind of Twitter light up with <laughs> with the kids that he's bringing in. Do you think long term with these new transfer rules, this is something that I, I still don't have a fully formed opinion of this. Some of this, of course, we're going to have to see how it plays out. But do you think these new transfer rules kind of handcuff smaller conferences like for example, the Mountain West Conference that the Lobos play in, or does it open up? Do you see it more as like opening up more opportunity? I think ultimately it opens up more opportunity because some some schools are going to get hurt. You you have a a player of the year in a smaller conference. He's going to go jump for that Power Five, Power Six program in college basketball. It's going to happen, and I don't blame him for taking the opportunity because he earned it on the basketball court. But then it's learning the new system because the the Mountain West has benefited from guys pretty much transferring down as opposed to leaving. So I think in terms of like New Mexico, where the Mountain West is, I think they're in a, a good mix to get some of those guys that might need a second chance or even some of the guys um, that have performed better in other mid-major conferences. But it's definitely going to change the game. I don't think it's going to bring down college athletics. It's going to be different. Like fans – if you're used to seeing these guys three or four years, that's going to be rare. And I get it. And that can be frustrating. But once I think coaches settle in and understand the transfer portal, understand that conversation is going to be ongoing. You're going to deal with maybe a little bit more egos when guys get upset if they're not getting the playing time right away. I think it will settle down, especially with name, image, and likeness coming into the game. I think we're already seeing that play a big impact with over the last week or so, um, some of the guys that withdrew their name from the NBA draft. And a lot of those guys actually surprised me that they're coming back for their sophomore season. So I think ultimately it'll work itself out. But college sports, you know, it got big business and it was time to adjust to that. And we're seeing that happen right now. Yeah. Do you think that in a way kind of uh, almost like more capitalist mindset in college sports, do you think that spreads out the talent? Like, for example, maybe you have the talent to be, the star player at Louisville, but you're like fifth on the depth chart depth chart in uh, Duke, let's say at Duke. I mean, do you, do you see this is uh, again, more of a solution than a problem with, with the endorsements or, um, or do you think there's still more incentive to um, kind of form together in, in these traditional powers? I think when it comes to the top 100, 150 prospects, there's going to be no change there. You know, they're still going to go to the, the Blue Blood programs. It's going to be interesting, though, to see what happens to some of the under-the-radar kids. And I think that's where the biggest, to your point, is the development. Who's going to be willing to develop kids? Who's going to find those diamonds in a rough? Because we're already hearing a lot of college coaches say they're not looking at high school players. They're only going to look at college kids because they know what they have if they've seen the guy play on the Division One level. Um, so... I don't think it's going to spread the talent out across the board more so. I just think where it actually does is it allows the coaches that are willing to take a chance that bring in high school players that find some of those guys. Um, it's going to give them an edge when some guys get caught up and just trying to hit the transfer portal and bring in a bunch of D1 guys. To your guys' point, I want to talk about the fan perspective and specifically Lobo, Lobo fans. I know they could be especially harsh. <laughs> I've, I'm a Lobo fan, and I've totally been in that mob mentality in terms of uh, jumping in there when things are negative. So, <laughs> it, you, I mean, you're at the pulse of what the Lobo fans are talking about every single morning. So can you kind of give a, your best synopsis of how they're feeling I, and I realized, you know, there was a pandemic and that was a huge toll to the new coach. But what is kind of the excitement level just considering kind of the lack of success for the Lobos in recent years? Um, I would say kind of men and women and the women's front, too, just kind of a, as a collective. Um, do you think that excitement is back just due to, you know, fans being back in the stands? Maybe that can ignite something. And then also in the future, just in terms of what you guys were discussing in terms of the transfer transfer window changing, maybe even getting players that are now being able to capitalize on their name and likeness, you know, not being persuaded to go to the pros at a 
you know, quicker rate, them staying in college, could that be a thing in the future that you could see, um, I don't know, adding renewed optimism for not only kind of global fans, but just college basketball fans in general? Well, I'll start with, like anything, it is generational. Uh, they're, they're some of the older Lobo fans, they can't stand it. Um, they, they don't get why they can't see someone here three or four years, get to know them, and then see them on senior night. And it's one where, with anything, change is difficult. And you add into the fact that the Lobos haven't been winning with transfers recently, and then there's just kind of a built-up resentment towards those guys. We hear the term mercenary used a lot, which is, you know, it's, it's over the top, but it's that, to your point, that frustration that fans have when they see like, well, if we're doing this, it's not working. Why aren't we trying it this other way? Um, but I think what we're going to see moving forward for Lobo basketball, it's, it's a honeymoon period. There's a ton of excitement for Richard Patino and it just Lobo athletics overall. I don't know if there's a team anywhere I'm talking Lobo football now real quick, that won two games in the season. People are this excited to see them next year. But, you know, that's just where we're at right now. And I think it points to just that hunger to get back, to see something successful because basketball matters in this state. It's still the biggest show in town when you look at New Mexico, New Mexico State, Division One basketball. And we're seeing that these fans are hungry. You're going to have to learn a little bit more maybe about the roster each and every year. And then ultimately... I do think with name, image, likeness and coming in, it will keep some of those fringe players in college an extra year or two, knowing that they just don't have to jump. They don't have to start chasing their pro dream. If that's what they want to do, more power to them. I'm not against it. You know, we had a ton of great conversations this past week with guys that some Lobo fans might have forgot about. You know, Jamal Smith, who played back in 2006, and he's been playing for like eight years in Brazil. Like, so there's so many different ways to get going. But I think with name, image and likeness, and we'll keep these players around an extra year or two. And then even to your point at New Mexico, at New Mexico State or at some of these mid-majors, because if your town, your program, you know, is able to market them, then they can get a little bit of extra in their pocket, not necessarily have to chase that check, you know, early in their basketball career. You brought up um, Jamal Smith, and I want to talk about the TBT again, and specifically the players on the roster. Um, we we know just being just following the Lobos for a long time, the the elephant in the room, and that is with the history of this team, you know, not making it to the Sweet 16 for, for the men's side of things for um, the University of New Mexico. Do you get the sense, just talking to the players and getting the sense of this team, that this could be a point of redemption? That, hey, and I guess I'll break it down from a player perspective in advance like if they happen to make a deep run in this tournament could this be it's not the same thing i realize that but could it be a thing of just we can get some peace <laughs> not them winning the tournament but just like at least a little bit of the monkey off of the back because i just feel like it's just ever since i mean i've lived in you know albuquerque all my life and it's been just ever since just following the team from just being in elementary school it's always just been this this one thing it's just been like oh let's get to the sweet 16 let's get it over with but i think with this tournament, there is that path of redemption. Do you do the players feel that way at all? I think uh, the only thing that's going to be the monkey off the back, the weight off the shoulders, is them able to hang a Sweet 16 banner in the pit. Um, it It's one that I think what this tournament does is it reminds people, oh, you can be happy at times. It's okay to have positive feelings about Lobo basketball. You know, it's okay to have events that you don't have to, you know, get fired up at the end and call, have a call-in show and be like, oh, the coach stinks, these players suck. Like, So I, I think it just it helps bring some positivity back to the program, a reminder of what Lobo basketball means. Because you look at a lot of these guys, and they might have been out of sight, out of mind, but then you listen to them talk about not just the pit, but all of them talk about the fans. And I think when Lobo basketball fans hear that, it reminds them how special that program can be how big it is when they all show up to that building. So I really think that's what it can do is you know, recharge the fan and go, oh, yes, losing stinks. When you're invested in something, you get emotional. Unfortunately, in sports, only one team feels great at the end of the season. But it's a reminder that these players do care about the university. They do care about the fans. And I think when Lobo fans hear that, they see this team repping the enchantment colors, the chair and silver for the University of New Mexico, they'll have that reminder and just that passion 
know, to show up again and get back behind level basketball. What's your insight on how these players kind of came together in terms of this practices, just them. I know I talked to J.R. Gins last week in terms of, you know, he's a coach now. So, you know, he's the only coach on the team and just the mentality of these players, um, because it's, it's not like, you know, it's a, you know, super organized environment. I mean, they have to, you know, all work together just to, you know, have practices, just to get the travel arrangements, just everything is it's kind of a different setting compared to this, you know, playing for their college team. What has that been like in terms of just trying to organizing everything, just just the logistics of just trying to make this work? Well, going back to the point about just passion, these guys care about the University of Mexico, care about representing the Lobos and their fellow alumni, and that's what ultimately brought them back together. Because no one, to my knowledge, like talking with B-Mace and some of the guys in interviews, said no. Like guys that just weren't here, weren't able to make it work due to prior commitments are potentially looking ahead to what you know their next pro contract is going to look like. And I think a, a big thing about it is the stage, you know, the opportunity. Yeah, you're playing this all-star game, but exposure on ESPN, the fact that a lot of these guys do play overseas and the majority of the TBT rosters are guys that are playing overseas. So it's something that's gained a lot of momentum they, they see their teammates, they see guys are competing with playing in these teams. And I think what's really helped over the last couple of years um, grow the interest is the alumni teams. Um, we've seen, obviously, overseas elite. If you follow the basketball tournament, they're four-time champ. They were just kind of all-star teams of overseas players, and they dominated thing. But now we're seeing you know these alumni teams come together, and I think that's what makes it easier for these guys to put it into their schedule, to want to come back play with some of the guys that they might have played with or didn't get a chance to play with. And so when Brandon Mason was making those calls, he got a lot of positive response. Because if you look at the team that they're playing on Sunday night in the All-Star game, Team J.B. White, I'm sure there's a lot of those guys that are going to make a statement saying, hey, next year I should be getting the phone call. I should be on this team. So I think that's a huge positive of how many options and guys that are all in for this moment. Who in your mind, J.J., um that fans should look out for for tomorrow that they see um, at the alumni team and like they, they'll be shocked in terms of their improvement. Um, like you mentioned, they're out of sight, out of mind playing overseas. Is there anybody else that, you know, Lobo fans should be taking a look at that they're going to be shocked tomorrow in terms of just how they progress from their college days? It's Anthony Smith, Anthony Smith, <laughs> Anthony Mathis. Um, it's because he's changed his game. Um, he has become a player that's playing on the ball. He's gotten a little bit bigger. He's creating his own shot. I um, mean, you see he spent last season with the Austin Spurs G League, was one of their leading players in, in minutes per game. And I think he's really evolved from just that guy we know that he was a standout shooter to being an on-the-ball playmaker. So I think he's going to surprise a lot of Lobo fans with the work that he's done over the last couple of seasons to become a more complete guard. And then also... I think the, the old guys, you know, the J.R. Giddens, the Jamal Smith, because Giddens retired about a year ago, got into coaching, um, but he's someone that is, is kind of shocked the guys in practice this week. He's still a really good athlete. He's got that dog mentality in him. And I'm really interested to see Jamal Smith, too, because you know he's 36 years old. He's a veteran guard, been there, done that. And that's going to be big for this team um, to have just that veteran presence, the guy that can kind of settle it down. Because if Lobo fans haven't followed this tournament, yeah, they're going to be excited about these names. Uh, but this is a 64-team field that is stacked, and there's a lot of talent in this tournament. What are your expect? Oh, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead with your question. You go ahead, Justin. If you're if you're still on, if you still have a question about TBT, yeah, just go one for last it. question about TBT. Um, what are your expectations of this the enchantment overall? Um, do you have like a prediction just based on the field? Um, it, it appears you, JJ, you, you follow these teams very closely. So what are your chances in terms of how well they can do in this tournament? overall? I, I think it's going to be a very tight game against Stillwater All-Stars. Um, you look at the Oklahoma State alumni squad. You know, they, they sprinkled in a couple Mountain West players. You've got Nate Grimes, uh, Cesar Guerrero, guys actually played at Fresno State. So there's some familiarity from Lobo fans probably remember what those guys were doing. I think that's a winnable game. I think that is one that it's going to go down to the wire on the Elam ending. Like it's going to be tight. I'm um, in the eight, nine matchup. Everline drive though, then would be the team they probably see you know, the one seed 
coming out the other side. Of course, another connection, Albuquerque connection, Cody Topper. He's an assistant coach at Memphis, went to Albuquerque Academy, is head coach of Everline Drive. And you look at that roster, uh, Archie Goodwin, Marcus Teague, and guys that played at the NBA level, um, that's going to be a challenge. So I think they can win a game, and if they upset a number one seed in this tournament, then that is just icing on the cake for this team. Absolutely. Really excited to see how that all plays out. JJ, we we talk a lot about the NBA on our podcast, which is great. I, I love the NBA. Uh, but I, I wanted to bring up one more thing with regards to these NCAA rule changes, because I, I don't know, even on sports media, I, I don't think people have really exaggerated at all how massive these rule changes are with the instant transfers with name image and likeness i mean this this is really a historic year for college sports and i I wanted to ask just one more question about this the ncaa historically has spent so much time with disciplinary action i mean you think of like the reggie bush situation you know back in the mid 2000s um you think of like ohio state football players getting in trouble for signing jerseys things like that what do you see how how do you see the role of the ncaa changing and do you think that because they don't have to focus on some of this stuff maybe we get a more quality product on the college side I think the NCAA is asking themselves that exact question right now is like, what are we doing other than sponsoring sports? Because they kind of making tournaments, huh? right? Yeah. They're like, <laughs> Oh, we have the NCAA tournament. Um, because when you look at college football playoff is out of their hands. Now that, you know, the bowl system is not necessarily ran by the NCAA either. So I think they're just trying to sit back and go, we spent so much time arguing against these things and trying to hide behind amateurism that as the game grew, they didn't, and they stayed stuck in place, and they are in a bad spot right now is because everyone else is making the decisions for them, and it's not them, and they need to read the room at this point in time. I look at you know name, image, and likeness and how much they push back against that. I'm like, did you not just see this shoe scandal? Like, the FBI was investigating y'all, and – you didn't think, all right, maybe it's time to adjust. Maybe we need to get things above board on paper, get these athletes in better position so we can try to push some of that stuff away, you know, make it harder for these guys to get in there and just try to make money off these players. Because I think if they embraced name, image, and likeness earlier and realized that, because it's, it's the, it's the one I always laugh at. Everyone just gets caught up in car dealerships, right? Like, oh, a car dealership is gonna <laughs> like a car and a hundred dollars one day a week. I'm like, well, if, if that's the case, then more probably to you because I think what we're also gonna find out is some of these dudes might not be as marketable as they thought. You know, it's, it's real life, it's reality is hitting them. That's true. But if if they embrace name, image, and likeness earlier, then they would not be staring down the barrel at paying student athletes on top of that. Like that could have got them out of the way saying, hey, here's your scholarship, full ride, fantastic. You want to make some off your name, image, and likeness, cool beans. Here's the contract. Here's the people that can help you. University can set that up. Fantastic. But they pushed against it for so long when millions of dollars were coming in. And it's not just looking at these athletic departments because I know like University of New Mexico is not rolling in the dough. Yeah. The NCAA is. Yeah. You look at that and you go, you don't see this model ever breaking you don't see this billion dollar basketball tournament ever becoming an issue with players pushing back the thing hey can we get something they're not asking for a max, like 48 million dollars a year they're saying hey most of these guys the three to four years in college is the only time they're going to be able to profit off being a student athlete or men and women and i think name image and likeness also is exceptional for the Olympic athletes and women's yes. basketball. You look at the yes. sisters at Fresno State, their yep. TikTok following, they immediately signed one of the first deals with name image and likeness. I think track and field athletes can have a huge benefit from this because we're actually seeing a lot more athletes that want to go pro, want to pursue Olympic dream, actually leaving college earlier. And I, I don't think that's good for anyone if we have to leave. But if you can stay, still go to school, still represent – your country, your university, and you know, make some money off wearing a pair of Nikes. Um, that's a positive that will only help college athletics as a whole. 
Well, I think it's baffling the arguments that I've heard in terms of like other players getting jealous of one person getting like an endorsement. It just seems like the the, the counter arguments seem ridiculous to me. And I think JJ, you brought up a good point. Like, I th- I think. A lot of the discussion on this issue is focused on college basketball, men's college basketball and football, where, like you said, there are, you know, Olympic athletes that can totally capitalize off their name and likeness that, you know, previously they couldn't because they're going to college. And I think this opens up that door. It also gives exposure to the university, too, with the, you know, I mean, how many people really care about Fresno State on TikTok? And you mentioned those sisters. Now they do. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a win-win for everybody. So it's just, I think the old mentality is, it's baffling to me in my opinion. Yeah. And it's one that we're going to see schools start to realize um, how impactful this can be. Cause we've already seen schools lay, you know, lay it down. Like you can't use our facilities. You can't wear our logo when you're doing this. I'm sitting there going, how does that make sense? Like how would you not want your student athlete maybe standing in front of the pit? are wearing that Lobo shirt in the commercial. That is more publicity for you because then in the recruiting game, it's always going to be nasty. It's always going to be dirty. We're already seeing it. Um, I think it's LSU put it out there and they're like, boom, you come here, you can rep us, you can use our facilities. And other schools are saying, no, well, you're just putting yourself behind again because it's marketing, it's positive. The dude is selling a freaking Subway sandwich, wearing a Lobo shirt in front of the pit. Like that's just a positive for your university. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Um, JJ, before we let you go, um, we want to get your thoughts on the NBA finals. What have you seen so far? Just because I think um, like casual NBA viewers, it's kind of a shock to see um, the Bucks and the Suns. Uh, but you follow the game that the NBA is. It's not any shock at all. What do you make of the finals so far and the, the Suns two games away from uh, winning the NBA finals? What do you think so far? I'm wondering if Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday want to show up to the NBA Finals if they realize <laughs> that there's only two games left in their season. I have <laughs> been so impressed with Giannis. The dude scoring 42 points in Game 2 of the NBA Finals when a week yeah. ago we thought he wasn't going to be on the basketball court again this season. So he's sure. stepping up. He needs his shooters. He needs his backcourt along for the ride because what we've seen these first two games, it's going to take – ridiculous offensive efficiency to stay with Phoenix because Milwaukee was supposed to be the good defensive team. They were supposed to be the team that challenges that backcourt against the Phoenix Suns, and they don't know what to do to slow them down. And Devin Booker, you guys are hoops guys. You know, he's been good, but it's, it was the whole hollow stats. You score 70 points on a bad team, people are just going to go, oh, that's a cool high, and not really realize how impressive that is, how hard that is to do in an NBA mm-hmm. game. And you just see his overall skill set, how efficient he is, and then someone like Chris Paul coming in, playing the level he's at. The, the way the guys talk about Chris Paul, you know, we hear so many sports cliches, oh, character, veteran leadership, we needed it. Um, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, the young guys on this team, Chris Paul has absolutely made that impact, has absolutely checked all the boxes of being the veteran leader, not only playing at a level that I, I wasn't sure Chris Paul could play like this because I know there are so many people when the Suns made that move were like, what are they doing? Why are they paying Chris Paul you know, $40 million a year to come in when this young team? Well, it's because Devin Booker and the Suns knew what they were doing you learn that Chris Paul and Devin Booker have the same agent, that they were talking in the offseason, that they wanted this to happen. They were ready to go. They embraced it. And it's an unbelievable run for the Phoenix Suns. And yes, injuries are a part of it. You can't ignore it. That is a huge storyline. But the Suns team was also one of the best teams in the regular season. And they put themselves in this position to take advantage of whatever happens in front of them. That's why you know the higher seed, home court advantage, playing teams that might have had some injuries, not been as good. That's the whole point of getting a high seed in the NBA playoffs. And I've just been so impressed from start to finish so far with the Phoenix Suns. And then winning the two games without Chris Paul. Because we hear that they're the team that got the breaks. Yes, Anthony Davis got hurt, and that changed the series. Because it was the Lakers won two games than Anthony Davis. Jamal Murray wasn't there, but they still did not let the NBA MVP win a game in that series. And then they went out there when Chris Paul was not available and still won two games at a high level. So I'm, I'm not taking anything away from them because when we're sitting here five, ten years from now looking back at champions, we're just going to know that Milwaukee or Phoenix, one, 
it was a crazy year, but we're not going to dissect it down to that point. Well, JJ, thanks for appearing on the show. Truly appreciate your insights. Um, please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media and then what you're up to. Well, you can follow me on Twitter. It's underscore JJ Buck. You can see a lot of the content, just my opinion, stuff we're doing on the opening drive. Uh, Sharon interviews had a ton this week. So if you want to have a little more insight to the TBT enchantment team, we talked with Darrington Hobson, Drew Gordon, Jamal Smith, Anthony Mathis, and Brandon Mason this past week. So all that is up on my social media or wherever you get your podcast. You can search for the opening drive. Check out our show with Jeff Simbietta. Just rocking, looking forward to the fall with uh, all the sports. And by the way, you mentioned something on the sports calendar. NBA, please, please start the season later and have the NBA Finals go in July. I love this. Love it. Yeah, me too. I, I think I've talked to Matt. Like, I think the season should start Christmas Day. I think that's the that'd be that's always been my fantasy. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to keep the regular schedule, but I'm right there with you, JJ. I think um, the season right until July, I think it's perfect. I agree. I love it. And, so thank you guys so much. I appreciate yeah. you reaching out to me. You guys do an awesome job. You get so many big name guests. So anytime that you say, hey, you want to come in and talk some basketball, I'm always grateful for the chance. Thank you guys. I appreciate it, JJ. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Hoopsology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? What's up, Justin? It is a beautiful Saturday here in Albuquerque. Hard things up in Colorado. Yeah, beautiful Saturday. It is All-Star Week um, in terms of Major League Baseball. So a lot of baseball going on. I went to my first Major League Baseball game with my girlfriend, uh, Julianne, um, at Coors Fields. Beautiful field. Beautiful. Um, yeah. I kind of hated on it. And I, ha- I, didn't, I didn't hate on it, but that's an exaggeration. But it overly exceeded my expectations. It's a beautiful ballpark and really enjoyed the game. So it was fun. The Rockies went with the walk off um, base hit. So it was love fun. that area. At least yeah. last time I went in downtown Denver, it's yeah. like so, it's built around that stadium so nicely. It is. Yeah. Like there are bars that you can kind of see into the field yeah, from, from their rooftops really cool area so yeah. awesome i'm glad you got to do that yeah it was pretty awesome but some um, awesome things going down your neck of the woods too um and that's with the d basketball tournament and if you're listening to um the audio version of this you checked out the interview we had with jj buck of 610 d sports animal i'm just going over the history of the um former lobos in the basketball tournament and um if you're watching this um, before july 11th tomorrow there's the alumni game at the pit 6 p.m go check that out or if all your former lobos coming back i i mean let's be honest man it's been a rough few years for the lobos so if you want yeah. like a pick me up especially with the pandemic and everything going on i think this is the perfect remedy not to mention too root on this team in the basketball tournament there's two million dollars on the line i mean i think it'd be some vindication if the lobos made a deep run so um check out the interview um the audio version again um just the beginning of this podcast and then also the video version um that's up on our youtube page as well so go check that out Definitely. But we have huge news in the NBA finals, Justin. Yes. So should I Let's go ahead and dive it. right into this? Yeah, Great. please. I'm going to share my screen here real quick. And we see we've had two games. We're two games into this series so far. And the darling, I would say, Phoenix Suns have won both of these games. Actually, very similar scores. You had a close first half. Um when the the teams first matched up here and then kind of the the Suns were able to open things up a, a little bit more in the first half of game two but you see the score there very similar you might not have even noticed that I switched screens here but 105 to 118 Phoenix wins game one 108 to 118 Phoenix wins game two I think you know Giannis and the Bucks are a little bit outmatched here. And I'm not sure a hundred percent if it's a coaching thing, if it's a fatigue thing from a more emotional uh, Eastern conference finals. And then series before that, certainly against the nets for the bucks, but either way, it's not looking good for the bucks right now. Oh, and then of course have to mention that Giannis is coming off of that knee injury. He's been great. All things considered, I just don't know that it's going to be enough. And if you had to ask me point blank right now, 
No, it will not be enough. And if you look at historically in the finals, you see here, this is courtesy of landofbasketball.com. Shout out to them. I don't know them, but this is great. You see out of 35 NBA finals, the team that starts with a 2-0 series lead has won 88.6% of the time here. So things are looking great if you're a Suns fan. Again, I'm kind of rooting for the Suns. <laughs> I'll state my bias, so I'm not trying to jinx them here. But you'd have to imagine they are the prohibitive favorites. Justin, what are your takes on the series so far? Do you feel good about Suns in seven? I know was your prediction. Suns in six was mine. How are you feeling about things right now, this series? Uh, I feel pretty good. And I think it's awesome to see Chris Paul like perform in this series. I mean, that was just a concern just through the injuries and just COVID. Like, how's his body going to hold up? I mean, he's never been in the NBA Finals before. It's new territory, and he's performed awesome. That's great to see, and that's bad for the Bucks. So I feel good for my prediction in seven. I just can't imagine. I know, you know, there's been a lot of memes of the, the Suns and Four dude <laughs> going around and just him taking over. But um, <laughs> I really think it's going seven. I think the Bucks do win tonight. Um I think Chris Middleton's still playing at a pretty high level. So in my mind, I think the Bucks are going to be able to make adjustments to um, come back in game three. And I know in game two, Chris Middleton didn't have that great of a game. Yeah, um, 11 points, yeah, eight assists, he's six up and rebounds. Down. Not and enough. I, uh, game yeah, one, he was great, though. Yeah. And I think – I guess what I'm saying is like maybe the totality of the playoffs at certain points, he has proven to be a factor, and I think he'll bounce back in this game. I mean, this is, I mean, the Bucks are getting the NBA finals. I mean, that's going to be a huge lift. The Suns are very inexperienced besides uh, Chris Paul. I think that's going to prove dividends. We think we saw that um, with the um, Clippers in terms of how, you know, the Suns didn't, I think they had a chance to close the Clippers out. They didn't. So I think we'll see something similar in this situation, in which I think we'll see the Bucks um, even up this series. I think it will go seven with the Suns ultimately proven um, to pull out. In my opinion. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And I, I almost feel the opposite in that. I do think the bucks are going to win game three on Sunday night. This is must win. No mm. doubt. But I, I don't know. Game four, obviously is going to be so pivotal. I could see the Suns winning this in five. I, I don't think the bucks have found the answer to the Suns yet. Uh, not just in terms of them, not winning these first two games, but just not even being able to control a quarter for the most part. And they've gone big. They've gone small. People go back and forth. Justin, I'd love to know your thoughts. I, I don't think they can go small and, and run with the Suns that way. I think they have to go the other way, almost like 2015 Cavs when they were trying to match up against the Warriors after Kyrie Irving was hurt. And it was basically LeBron, Della Vadova, and a bunch of other guys. I, I'm sorry, no disrespect to those guys, but not Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. Let me throw two comparisons at you. Giannis right now is 2017 LeBron James, yes or no, in terms of this final series, what he's doing, what he's up against. Um, Jeez, my memory is so terrible sometimes. So 2016 uh, was when the Cavs beat the Warriors. 2017... Cleveland loses to the Warriors in five games. But then he had that, but he was spectacular, right? In terms of his performance, that the finals, in terms of basically it was a one man show. Um, one man show was 2015. That was when everyone got hurt. So gotcha. 2017, okay. he has help, but not enough help. And that's kind of how I feel Giannis is, I guess, is, is my point here. Uh, I would say so. I, but. I mean, the thing is, we've seen with the Bucks when they have Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton clicking on all cylinders, the team is different. So, and I mean, we've seen Brooke Lopez. I mean, his performance wasn't like a fluke. He can shoot the three and that we've seen in the past. So they have the, the players to be more than formidable. Um, I think what you said earlier, Matt, it might be just a, a coaching thing because we've seen very sporadic performances. And these guys, I don't get, I think they're on a higher level than what you mentioned with Delavadova. And I think to me, even at a higher level than like Igudala, 
um, we're talking about with the Golden State Warriors in terms of role players. So it just seems strange to see this up and down type of atmosphere. Um, so if I'm Giannis, I'm wondering, you know, even though they're in the finals, so that this could be a sign of, can you really win with these guys here? Because they have the talent, I think, but just the performances is just not really rising to the crop. Because I just don't believe the Suns are that much better than the Bucks, even though I picked them. Like, I just don't see such a massive disparity between the two of them. And yet we've seen the Suns really, like you said, Matt, control both of these games, um, despite Giannis having an unbelievable performance in game two. So I think that might point to coaching, you know, in, in, in some ways. I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you see some things that the Bucks are deficient in that points to more of like coaching adjustments? Or do you think it is a talent disparity between the two teams? Well, I, I think it's it's twofold. First thing I'll say is I think Coach Bud actually – I've kind of shifted on this. I feel like Coach Bud takes – more heat than he deserves. And I know you and I have both been a little bit critical of coach bud um, throughout his tenure as, as the bucks coach, but I'm at the point where I, I almost, I blame him a little bit less, but in fairness, I do think he's been outclassed by the Suns, And I think part of that too is just having that coach on the court in Chris Paul ha- has been huge for the Suns. Like I, I think, he, especially in game one, when he was the leading scorer on the Suns and he was just, everything was flowing through him, had those moments in game two, but Booker helped out a lot. Uh, Chris Paul looks like he's been to the finals several times and I'm really impressed by that. I do think there was better preparation and a better game plan coming in. So take from that what you will. I don't know that I feel... Coach Bud is completely outclassed coaching wise, though, just because of that injury to Giannis. So I'm not totally ready to like take gloves off and come after Coach Bud yet. But I do think the the Suns looked more prepared, looked more intentional and polished coming through there. But I do also think the the Suns are just a better team than the Bucks. I think you're right, though, that. It's it's getting overplayed how much better they are than the Bucks. I, I do think it's more even than people give it credit for. Agreed. I want to I want to ask you about Devin Booker, and I don't know. It, I hate talking about it, but because they have the media platform, it's going to be the overall narrative of this guy's career, and that's Devin Booker and Kobe. Like, how do you feel about that comparison? I never got the sense of that comparison. To me, never made too much sense i get the sense that they like to score but i never really equated the two together um and especially i get you know kobe was a mentor to devin booker before um kobe unfortunately passed away but um the comparison between the two guys i just think their games are different yeah i mean i don't know how do you feel about that and do you think if he wins you know this nba finals where do you see his star trajectory going? Because I think this NBA Finals has been really been um, characterized as Trey Young. It's been the Trey Young show in terms of his star rising. And um, with Devin Booker, among like, I think basketball fans, certainly that might be the case, but the casuals may not have been catching on to Devin Booker, maybe because he's quieter. So do you think um, from just a star comparison standpoint, this could be a launching board for him if the Suns pull it out? Yeah, certainly it it'll be a launching board. I I can't even start with this conversation about comparing <laughs> okay. Devin Booker to Kobe yet. I I think if you're going to say based on their games right now, I mean Devin Booker That's better what I meant, the games, yeah. Better perimeter shooter. Sure. Okay. Kobe much better defender to this point yeah. in my opinion. Makes sense. Um Beyond that, like, I, I don't even think it's worthwhile <laughs> diving into it too much just because Kobe is has done so much. But um, to answer your question about star trajectory, I'm actually a little bit worried that this, because of this franchise and the history in Phoenix, this could be easily a one-and-done title. Mm-hmm. And is Chris Paul going to be healthy throughout the rest of his career? You know, Kobe gets his first title. He's paired with Shaq in his prime. Wow. And they just roll for three titles. I don't see that happening. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't see that happening in Phoenix, and that's that's no slight on anyone. It's just different circumstances. Yeah. You're you're a guy. You're paired with Chris Paul, who, yes, much like Shaq, he's one of the greatest to ever do it at his position. But he's in a much different stage of his career, and maybe Chris Paul can play until he's forty. But this this is new territory in the NBA for a point guard to last this long at this elite of a level that Chris Paul has reached. So I love Devin Booker. I'm not trying to sound like a negative Nelly here. The, the fact that he gets a title, and, and if he keeps his stats going, uh, his production going, as I assume he will, yeah, he's going to be in that top 10 shooting guard, maybe top five shooting guard conversation eventually, especially like if, if you take shooting guards careers and say, what have these guys done up to age 24, then yeah, it's looking great. A very bright future for Devin Booker. So I I'm bullish on him. I, I love the guy. I love watching him play, but I, I <laughs> like I said, I can't go anywhere with, with the Kobe thing at, at this point. Well, it was a Stephen A. narrative, and I guess he, I think he was maybe pointing to his game. I hope, um, but this is the same guy that thinks Ben Simmons is going to be LeBron. So you know, take that. <laughs> I but, mean, he he does have that huge scoring game. I, sure. I can't even remember how much he went off for. It was it was well over sixty points, though. Yeah. Uh, I know that. I think it was in the seventies, something like that. Um, yeah. So I, I get it. There there's some things there for sure, but it's it's a different league right now. And I I can't compare their games with each other, but I think like his place in history, he's, he's building something for sure. Yeah, he is. Um, anything else you wanted to allude to Matt, before we uh, move on to kind of our, our second topic regarding the NBA finals. One last question. This can be really brief. Cause I yeah, know we got a hard out here, but um, Chris Paul, let, let's say the Suns win. Sure. The odds are in their favor. Yeah. Is Chris Paul, the point guard version of 2011 Dirk Nowitzki? I would say yes. Um, different reasons, but yes. I mean, Chris yeah, Paul, really similar, of course. Yeah, I mean, I was hard on him in terms of, you know, his performances and everything going on. So that that one title, similar to Dirk, like submitted, that meant like six titles. You know? <laughs> that was like the equivalent for Dirk. That submitted his legacy forever. As one um, of the best power forwards, right? Yeah. And, and I this think would do the same for Chris it, Paul. The only thing I would say is that with the Mavericks, that was against such a f- massive favorite against the Heat, right? And at all the hype, I think that was the first year of all those the big three coming together, um, the Heatles and everything, and the Mavericks took them out. So I think in this aspect, while I think the Bucks, the, the Bucks were um, the, the favorite in a lot of people's minds, I don't think they have quite that, I don't know, star power that impressiveness um for chris paul to beat them but i think it should be held in the same regard in my opinion so mm-hmm. i think your your comparison spot on yeah a lot of people have made that comparison i i kind of like it so mm-hmm. um anyway should we move on to some ratings talk yeah please all right so i have let me pull this up now, this is off Wikipedia, and I know you're not supposed to source Wikipedia, <laughs> so y'all can come at me in the comments if, hey, they if have you don't sources. like that. <laughs> yeah, get mad at the sources. <laughs> I, I didn't plug this into Wikipedia, okay? <laughs> so here are your ratings, NBA ratings, for the finals from 1974 to the present. And you can see the dip within the last couple of years. We know last year was a huge outlier with the finals being held in the fall in October. So, you know, I could see a lot of arguments for that being a wash. That's fine. Uh, If we look at kind of the last five years here, we have, so first of all, game one gets 8.56 million viewers. That is better than last year in the bubble, which had 7.45 million viewers. Game two is still being tabulated, but it's projected right around 7 million, just above 7 million viewers for game two, just so you know. So a little dip there in game two, potentially. Um, If we look at average viewers, this is a huge fall off from 2019, where we had 15.4 million viewers. So all in all, if you're looking at finals that have been hosted in their normal time, so in the summer, this is the worst summer finals ratings we've had and 
the worst since 2007 when the Spurs played the Cleveland Cavaliers. You can see here 9.29 million viewers there. Um, so Justin, I'm going to zoom in on these numbers a little bit if I can, yeah. so you guys can see that better, but can you give me just some of your thoughts about the ratings here? What might be causing that? Yeah. And should, is this something we as NBA fans should be worried about in the league at large, of course. Sure. Um, I, I want to do a comparison. So I want you to do me a favor and scroll down to the Pistons when they played the um, Spurs. That you got finals. it. You got it. And let's see how, because I remember people hating on that team. It's kind of a similar sentiment. Pistons um, and the Spurs... 12.45 million average okay. game one 10.57 million viewers interesting that's that's interesting because people remember they're they're talking about the crap about that nba finals <laughs> in mm -hmm. terms very similar to this one um i think a lot of things are at play um the league popularity is down the league is in transition um and also um, Richard Deitch had a really good point and other media members um shout out to jimmy train as well as sports illustrated their point should be taken to account, which is social media in the way that younger people consume media. So for a younger person, they may not watch the NBA finals. So they're going to get their highlights through Twitter. And, you know, as you like to me, like I hate to bring up this up, but wrestling, like I don't really watch the, the three hour shows or two hour shows. I watch the clips online. And so I, get, I pretty much know what happens on the show. because I watch the clips. And so I think the NBA very similar to the teams you follow, whether it's Phoenix or the Bucks or the NBA social media account. What are those metrics? I think that is a factor in this. And saying that, I think the league has done a fairly poor job in the recent years of highlighting its younger stars. Now, I think what started this trend to be reversed before the pandemic happened was Zion. Zion was a huge pick. That was a focus within the league in terms of focusing on him, not really caring about the Pelicans. Um, that was the whole thing with him. Who's the who's the all star on the Pelicans that gets disrespected? I forget, I'm blanking on his name. He played for the Lakers. Um, yeah, Brandon Ingram. There you go. So it was a thing where they didn't even crap about Brandon Ingram. It was, a, it was a Zion show, right? And I think that's when we saw the shift. Okay, we're going to focus on Zion, focus on Luca. And while they've done a better job of focusing on those guys, I think the victim of that has been somebody like a DeAndre Ayton, right? Somebody like Trey Young until this year. Somebody um, like Devin Booker, who Devin Booker has been killing it ever since he's got into the league. But now he's, he's starting to get his respect. And so the issue, I think, in my mind is the league always focusing on, okay, we need to have Brooklyn, L.A. We need to have, um, you know, even Boston. Having big markets that have all-stars, that's good enough, rather than a small market um, with – a player who's rising, even though that that small market team may suck. So I think that is what we're seeing here is with two teams. I think in the past, in the traditional history of the NBA, that been mediocre um, and seeing them rise. And I think to a common fan being like, I don't know anybody on this team. I'm not going to watch where that's not the case at all. And, I mean, the Phoenix Suns are deserving of being an elite team, and so are the Bucks. And this is a great matchup. But I think, in terms of how the league promotes its stars, I think they have faltered, and I think that's why we're seeing the ratings be in this low. Uh, what I'm interested in seeing is kind of the social media metrics of this as well. That is a factor in this. But I think moving forward to the next season, I would like to see the league. You know. I've had to come to this realization is that, you know, it's more of a star powered league, hundred percent, and it's not so much about teams. And so making sure that, Hey, there's a star here. You should see, check them out. Even though the game might be like a blowout, um, even though it might not be that competitive, that star is going to pay dividends later when eventually they're going to end up in a, a playoff or a um, final situation. Yeah. Great points. I, I think, a couple other things like yeah, sure. this is still even with your point about social media, which I agree with. It's it's huge now, especially to the NBA's really target market sure. of like 18 to 30 year olds. Um, TV deals aren't going to care. I, I don't think as much about social media. So like it, it could 
it could impact the money that the NBA gets from like a TV contract negotiation. Now, it seems like that's in a good place anyway. It seems like TV deals are going to continue going up. Yeah. This would just be something that over time, I think if less than 10 million viewers becomes the norm, that's when you're going to see maybe TV. So it's, it's we, we've got two years now, potentially, that our average views in the finals looks like it's not going to exceed 10 million viewers. Certainly last year, that's already in stone. This year doesn't feel to me like it's going to rise as the series goes. Maybe if it goes seven games, we'll see what happens, of course. But um, I, I think, you know, you probably need like five years plus of ratings, like lower than that 10 million mark for the broadcasting companies to start making a case against offering less money. That's going to be tough with momentum and yeah. competition, Apple and Amazon getting into, you know, the sports broadcasting yes. game, stuff like that. And that's uh, why competition just, always yeah. helps. And that's why I know we have a hard out, so I'll keep this brief. That's why I, I disagree with you because I see the ratings for, again, it, I think it's app comparison with Raw. Those ratings suck. They're terrible. And even when they renegotiated their deal with Fox and USA, their ratings were mediocre to bad. They got a lot of money, like in the billions of dollars, because live sports content is important because a lot of people are now watching TV shows. You know, Netflix, like you said, Matt, um, Amazon, and Apple. Live sports is imperative. So anybody yep. who has a live sport, even if the ratings are mediocre, they're still going to pay that premium price because you're still getting, you know, that 8 million viewers. That's still premium. I mean, you're not going to get 8 million viewers for really anything else on television, not even close. So while it's low, while it's disappointing, I think that the live sports and the, the paradigm shift where we're at, um, I think probably keeps the NBA still getting that value. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. And the look, you get Lakers Nets next year in the finals yeah, potentially. Then I'll be really curious to see because yeah. if that were under 10 million viewers, I'd be shocked. Yeah. Uh, quickly, let me just make one more point, and then I yeah. know we got to get out. Sure. Um, the other thing that has happened for the past decade, really ever since the Miami Heat formed LeBron James's Miami Heat super team, the league has kind of marketed itself off of hating a team in the finals correct you look at all these series you know it, it kind of flipped in a way almost when you had cleveland make the finals and it's still lebron against the warriors but you have this dynamic now of like oh the warriors are now the super team and lebron even though that was kind of a super team as well yeah. um i and i think that has really hurt the league in these past two years but especially this year where We've both said, or or at least I, I firmly say that I, I love both of these teams. I would be yeah. happy for either one of them to win the finals, happy for Giannis, happy for Chris Paul, Devin Booker, etc. There's really no one I'm I'm watching. Like I, I'm just looking for great basketball, which has been decent the first two games. So I think that's an interesting component of this. That gets into like media marketing and, and stuff like that. Uh I don't I don't really care to have a team that that i hate to watch like i i just love watching basketball you know but for the casual fan it it makes for i guess kind of a an interesting point that there's nobody this year to really hate unless you just really don't like chris paul for some reason i know he can be polarizing for some people but i think overall people respect him as a player and want to see him win a title well, that goes to the marketing of the, the league, right? And I think also another thing is foreign stars in America don't really do that well in terms of being huge stars. I mean, true. if I see Dirk Nowinski, I'm going to freak out like at a supermarket or something like, oh, that's <laughs> Dirk. But I think to a casual person, it's just, you know, it's just some dude at a grocery store. And I think that goes with a lot of foreign stars. <laughs> I think you have to meet that kind of demographic. I think, you know, Conor McGregor is an exception. Um, There's like kind of Pele. Um, There's kind of a few exceptions, but for the most part, they don't do well. So I'm curious to see with Luca, just to see, he's just an awesome player, how that goes, if he's going to be the face of the league. But, you know, he's probably, he's, in my opinion, the most talented foreign player has ever been in, in the history of basketball. So I'm curious to see how that, argue, yeah. you know, translates to a casual fan. It looks like we got to run. Um, Always a pleasure, man. You guys can check us out. OTGbasketball.com slash hoopsology is our webpage. Of course, subscribe to us on iTunes. Check us out on Twitter, social media. 
wherever you do that, we are. Um, be sure, let us know your thoughts in the comments here. Um, but hope you guys enjoy the rest of the finals. We will be back after it very soon. Yeah. I won't give you a specific date, but uh, <laughs> but we'll be back covering these finals. This isn't the last you've heard from us this season. Yeah, Thanks, no you way. guys. And we have some additional interview content coming up. Don't want to spoil anything, but that's be coming your way this week, so stay tuned. So for Matt, I'm Justin. We'll see you next time. Enjoy the finals. Peace.